Thank you for joining us for the Cross Loganville podcast as we begin our series 29, the book of Acts. It is a great day to be alive. Praise the Lord. Good to see y'all. It's going to be a great day of worship here and uh, celebrate the risen King. If this is your uh, first time, one of your first few times, the easiest way to kind of connect with us is to get on our website, thecrossloganville.org. When you're there, you'll find a connect card. All you got to do is click that link. It'll send you a little document, and uh, uh, all you've got to do is fill it out. We'll send you information on the ministry. A lot of other stuff there, the give out. A lot of people use that as their uh, way to just stay consistent and faithful in giving. Uh, the version uh, Bible that we use, there's a link there for that. Uh, previous sermons, I'm telling you, if you get on the homepage of the Cross Loganville, it'll guide you to what your next step should be, okay? So uh, please take advantage of that. Uh, one of the cool things that we get to be a part of here uh, at the church is partnering with others around the world. And I met Richie back in 1994 when I was doing mission work down in the Dominican Republic. He and Holly got married, uh, met and married the next year. But our church has been supporting these guys uh, since I've been here. I love them. They're going to give us an update and just uh, share with us briefly of what's happening in the Dominican Republic. Give it up for Richie and Holly Vallette. I'm Holly of the Rich and Holly, um, but first of all, I wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for being part of our ministry. I know not quite all of you have made it down to the Dominican to visit us yet, and that's okay. You have time to get your passport and time to come on down and see what's going on. Um, but we wanted to say thank you because you are faithful in obeying what the Lord has asked you to do in giving your gifts and your tithes to this church. They are in turn able to help us be able to do our ministry to professional athletes in baseball and soccer to encourage believers and leaders in two different churches in Santiago, Dominican Republic. They are thankful for you. They aren't here to be able to say thank you. So I have come on their behalf to say thank you. Thank you that you have chosen to say yes to what the Lord has asked you to do. And we are excited, excited about what has happened, what is happening, and we're very excited about what the Lord is doing and how he is moving. Uh, we just want to give you a little glimpse of what the Lord has allowed us uh, to do. Uh, we're doing a discipleship with the professional athletes, like Holly said, in, in baseball and in soccer. Uh, Holly... Uh, has started a ministry with the girls' uh, soccer team. Uh, for her, it's been a little more, how you say, cuesta arriba, uphill. Sorry, I got to tra translate for myself. Um, I speak English very well, uh, so just bear with me. Uh, it'll come out eventually. Um, and so, so for her, it's been a little more uphill, uh, so if you could pray for her for the ministry with the ladies' soccer teams. And for the guys, it's been, it's been phenomenal. And I always say that and take a step to the side because she gets a little jealous. Um, uh, I know, right? Um, so I got to keep it good for her too. But the Lord has been awesome opening up opportunities for us. During the, the bulk of the pandemic, uh, a lot of the teams, they still had to do practice by Zoom. So those of you that played sports in, in our earlier days, for, for starters, is Zoom, not Zumba, uh, just so we, nobody gets confused. Um, the coach would have to sit in front of the screen, and the player would have to put their phone where they could see it and do their exercises for an hour, hour and a half with the coach actually watching him uh, doing that. And then they would have team meetings. During those team meetings, they would have a time for Holly with the ladies' teams and for me with the men's teams to be able to still share about Jesus Christ, to be able to then meet with individual players or group of players uh, to go more in depth uh, with the scripture. And so the pandemic really did not stop anything. We praise the Lord for his word to continue to go forward. And so we are very, very thankful for that. Now, this, this coming month, the new season uh, starts. We're able to meet with the teams in person. That's why we're leaving tomorrow uh, to take advantage of the little bit that's left of preseason to make those contacts and continue to grow uh, th th through the season. Um, in the back, 
we have some photos and stuff, and we have a little um, sign-up sheet if you would like to get our, our prayer letters. You're more than welcome today. On Sundays, it's free to sign up, so take advantage of the special. The rest of the week is double the price, so I would just do it today. But, but in all this, you know, we see that God is always faithful, that God is good. Uh, like Tim mentioned uh, last week, I had a, a little incident at gunpoint, met two new guys. Um, not the type of meetings you want to have, but, you know, the, 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 there's something when you're looking down the barrel of a gun, I don't know if you guys had the privilege, um, it, it makes you be thankful to the Lord that He is that rock, you know. He is in control of everything that we do and say. And so in the ministry, in the ministries that each and every one of you guys are at, no matter where you're at, God is always in control. And I just want to also to encourage you in that. Thank you very much. By the way, thank you, Richie. Holly? That's been an incredible relationship. Every missionary our church supports. Now, you got to understand this. When I got here back in uh, and started full-time, as pastor in 2011, January of 2011, there was no missionaries we were supporting. There was a missional budget of 15000 and it all went to one person that was doing whatever. And so now our missional budget is over 100000 of supporting missionaries locally, nationally, globally, uh, whether it would be Richie and Holly in the Dominican Republic. Uh, we have touch points in India, Colombia, whatever. So God has been gracious to allow our people uh, Richie, to continue, man, to be partners with you guys, and you guys are partners with us. Uh, uh, over the years, we've seen, that, we've seen that, that group build, and every one of them is committed to reach lost people with the gospel. Uh, they're committed to teaching the word with accuracy and uh, to training people and seeing people sent out. So the church plants, all the ministry uh, that have happened there in the Dominican over the years has been pretty amazing. So at the end of our service, please... Uh, float back to the Connect Center and spend some time with Richie and Holly. You will love them. I think the last, one of the last trips I did down there to the DR, uh, I'll never forget this. Richie is such a solid brother. You can tell English is not his first language. His dad is Chilean. Uh, he was born and raised in Uruguay. I, I still try to understand him when I'm with him. You look at him, he looks like an older version of Opie Cunningham, and then you start to speak and you're trying to figure out where, where's this dude from. And, and, but Richie, I got all locked up in the Dominican. And I mean, my back and my shoulders. And I mean, you know, I, I struggle with range of motion, but I got really locked up down there. And I said, Richie, man, I've got to have some relief. And he goes, I've got a friend who's a massage therapist. I'm like, really? Yes, I know this man. I'm going to go, I'm, I'm going I'm to reach out to him and I'll go get him. And so I'm like, oh, that would be so awesome, Richie. That would really help me out. So he goes and gets this guy, brings him back. And, they, and, and, and brings him back to the house where we're staying there with Richie and Holly. And the guy's, he's like, this is my buddy. He's a massage guy. Don't, the guy doesn't speak a lick of English. I don't speak Spanish. And so I'm like, okay. He puts electric stem and all this stuff on my neck and tells me to lay down. So I'm like, all right, let's see where this goes. The dude was blind. He could not see what he was doing at all. Richie leaves the room. He cranks this electric stem thing up. And I'm over there. <laughs> You're welcome. He comes back in the room, and I'm trying to get his attention. I'm yelling. I'm like, this dude don't even understand it. And he is laughing so hard. I said, man, I thought you were trying to help me. You were trying to kill me, Richie. It was one thing to ride with him, and then he did that to me. So I forgave him, and we still support him. So uh, you're a beautiful man. Hey, let's pray. And if you would, join me uh, during this space right now. Uh, just praying that the Holy Spirit would open and illuminate our hearts and minds in this room, that we would be really receptive to the, to the Lord. Even as I pray during this time, I want to pray just Richie and Holly, you guys join me as we pray for them. But specifically during this space, let, let's please pray for what's happening uh, with our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine. There's a lot of chaos and pain going on globally. Uh, there's a lot of madness. I believe the dude in Russia is a madman. And I believe he's very sick and vile right now. Uh, but there's believers in Russia too. There's missionaries in Russia. So the body of Christ is scattered throughout the world. 
And uh, what's happening in those areas right now are painful. So, Lord, I do pray in the name of Jesus that you would silence us, that our hearts would be open to what you're desiring to do in us right now through the person and power of the Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray that you would minister in this space with us in a powerful way. Collectively, join with me. Lord, we pray for Holly. We pray for Richie, for their family, Lord, as they have served so faithfully down in the DR in Santiago. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to pour out your spirit, give them wisdom and discernment, give them favor, Lord, as they meet with these uh, professional uh, soccer teams there on the island. Lord, as they continue to have access in the locker rooms to minister and infiltrate the baseball world, these church plants that they've been a part of, Lord, is such a diverse, cool ministry that you've called them to. We lift them up. Pray, pray, for, pray for them. And then pray for those people in the Ukraine right now. There's pastors there. there there's seminaries there. There, there. There's lost people that do not need to die without Jesus there. And there's, there's redeemed people there. There's kids there. There's, there's redeemed people in Russia, Lord. With what's going on there in the name of Jesus, I do pray that the Holy Spirit would be poured out. And even in the midst of persecution and opposition and pain, I pray, Lord, that the Spirit of God would have freedom. I pray that the redeemed of the Lord would press into you like never before. I pray that you would use this time of crisis and chaos to bring about revival that would sweep through that land that many, many would come to know you. But Lord, if it would be your will, Lord, if you would silence the chaos with Putin and those guys right now and bring about a calm in that land, Lord, that's our prayer that you would do that. You're able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything we can ask or think. Lord, we lift up that situation to you right now. Lord, there's pain and chaos going on in the lives of people here today. I pray in the name of Jesus that the shalom from heaven would penetrate each heart in a powerful way now and that you would you would have your way for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. So guys, here's where we're at. We're starting today our series uh, through the book of Acts. And this is going to be an intro kind of overview, kind of looking down, if you will, from about 25,000 uh, feet at the book of Acts. We're not going to get into the verse by verse chapters today, but it's an overview. And we've titled our study through the book of Acts, we've titled it 29. And people may ask, why would you want to title it a number such as 29? Well, the truth is the scariest chapter in the Bible is Acts 29. If you've got your Bible, you can flip over to Acts 29 right now and it would reveal to you why it's the scariest chapter in the Bible. But as soon as you flip there, you're going to tell me that there's only 28 chapters in the book of Acts, and I'm going to look at you and tell you that we have 28 books canonized in the book of, book of Acts. But the reason Acts 29 is the scariest chapter is because the Holy Spirit is wanting to do a work in you and through you today to write a chapter that's never been written and to write a narrative that has never been seen by man. God is wanting to do a fresh work in and through you. You see, when you study the book of Acts, the book of Acts is not the Acts of the Apostles. Even though many of our hard copies as we open them up, that's what it says at the top, the Acts of the Apostles. It's not the Acts of the Apostles. It's the actions of Jesus Christ that has been poured out through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the redeemed of the Lord that is birthing his church. Did you get that? He uses the apostles and people like you and I, but Acts is a book that shows us what the, the gospel of Jesus can do through the person of the Holy Spirit to those who are yielded and surrendered. And so today I invite you to crawl on the altar as a living sacrifice and to make yourself available for the Holy Spirit to write a new chapter that's never been written, for God to do something fresh and new in you that's never been done before. You see, for a lot of people around evangelical Christianity, they will celebrate and read and meditate on those first 28 chapters. And they will even get so cute of, uh, of, of even wearing bracelets that say, what would Jesus do? And they bow to worship a historical Christ. But they're afraid of Acts 29 because that would imply W-I-J-D, what is Jesus doing? You see, the Jesus that we serve is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's risen, and he's now living inside of the redeemed, and he's wanting to write a new chapter. 
Y'all with me? So as we study, we will find, uh, tradition would say that we have 27 books in the New Testament. They would say you get, 20, you get 39 in the Old Testament. You get Genesis through Malachi. And in there you've got the history of mankind and different things. And you've got some Psalms and you've got some wisdom books of Proverbs and different things. You've got the Song of Solomon, different things written there. But they would say the Old Testament, you got 39 books. And then they would say the New Testament, you got 27 but, but I, I, I would say you've got 39 Old Testament books, everything under the Old Covenant. Then we get introduced to Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we would call them the four Gospels. But even our Savior and Messiah and Lord said, this is my body being poured out, my blood, for the New Covenant. So the New Covenant, if you study Scripture, doesn't start until the cross so the book of Acts is really the first book of the new covenant because the blood has been poured out and now the church is on. I want you to stay with me. This is very important as you start to study through it. Jesus made a prophetic statement in Matthew 16. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail Jesus promised us and prophesied that he was going to build his church. The book of Acts is the birth and development of his church. It starts in Jerusalem and it spreads running to the nations. It starts in Jerusalem and then it spreads. Now, now, now for you, be honest. When you think of the word church or hear the term church, what image comes to your mind? I mean, come on, all of us have got some type of image or definition or view of church. For most of us, our view of church is a building, it's a facility, it's a location, it's a place. The problem with that is that is a non-biblical word. The only word for church in the scripture, in the New Testament, is the word ecclesia. The word ecclesia does not mean facility, place, structure, or whatever. The word ecclesia li literally means those who are called out of the world who now belong to Jesus Christ. Did y'all get that? So church, ecclesia, is not a place, it's a person. And so even as we look at the church, the redeemed of the Lord are referred to as the body of Christ. And if we're the body of Christ, it implies that Jesus is the head. Now, in order to be part of the body, the body is to be active and alive and engaged and contributing. That's what the body is to be. Because you'll hear people say oftentimes that we are the hands and feet of Jesus. It doesn't say that we're some lethargic group that just hangs out in a facility. We're, we're actually the body that is to be engaged as those who belong to the Lord. Now, when you go back and study the church that Jesus birthed, the one that he said he would build and the gates of hell would not prevail, the church that Jesus started was a movement. It was not a monument. It was a movement. And it was a movement based on and built on the conviction that Jesus Christ was God's salvation. There he is. The, there, there, that's God in flesh. And so the church was built on and was birthed out of the conviction that Jesus is God's salvation. He is Yeshua HaMashiach. And so when you start to look at it, he is the one that died for sin, that was raised on the third day. He is the one that has brought about atonement. He is King of kings and Lord of lords, and he invites people everywhere to repent and know him in a personal way. That's the church. Did y'all hear me? The only word for church in the New Testament is the word ecclesia. So when we say, oh, I'm going to church, you cannot go to what you are. Because the church is not a monument, it is a movement. But there was a problem. So Jesus birthed his church. 
His church, Ecclesia, was elastic. It was flexible. It was transient. It was on the move. When you study it, you will find that even when James writes right out of the gate, James, to those who are dispersed and scattered, he's writing to the church who is under persecution that is elastic and flexible and transient because they didn't stay in one, one location. There was a shift, though, Joe. There was a, there, there was a shift. And people began to think, that church was a place you went to for religious services. There was a shift that happened in church history that's non-biblical, but that became the norm. The English word for church that we use is from the word kyriakon, which is Latin or kirche, Ronnie, you guys who speak different languages can say it right, but that word literally, literally means a sacred place where you gather for religious purposes. Let me say it again. Kyriakon, Kirche, literally means a sacred place that you gather for religious services. Problem. That word does not appear in the Bible. Problem. That, that is something Jesus never taught. Problem. That's not what Jesus' church was about or was to be about. Remember, Jesus' church is a movement, not a monument. Church came to mean a house or a structure that belonged to the Lord. Look at me. It's not biblical. The church is a movement. The church is organic, elastic, flexible, transient. It is to be moving. It's not to be stale, stagnant. It's not. And this shift of thinking became uh, to mean it's a place you attend. It's an event you set through. It's a place that you take from. That's what it ended up meaning. And so many people have such a twisted, jacked up, Steve, view of church that that's what they think. I'm going to church is the place I go. I'm going to sit, and then I'm going to take. And then part of my assignment as a result of being in a church is I go to it, sit, I take from it, and then I criticize music, message, whatever I don't like, and then I leave, and that's church. You jacked up Colonel Heathen. That's what that is. See, it's not a movement that you're a part of. And Richard Halverson was the chaplain for the U.S. Senate. Strong Presbyterian, strong brother. But I read this and pondered this years ago. And he made this observation. He said, you know, when the church was founded in Jerusalem by Jesus with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, he said the church in Jerusalem was a movement. He said, but by the time it got to Greece, it became a philosophy. With the influence of Plato and Socrates and others, it became a philosophical way of doing life. He said, by the time it got to Rome, it was an institution. You look at the Catholic Church and what it's about today. It's an institution. He said, then, as it saturates throughout Europe, it becomes nothing more than culture. Culturally, this is the way we do things. And then he said, Halverson said, by the time it reached America, it became an enterprise. It was a business. So you've got to ask the question, is church a place you attend or is it a movement that you're a part of? It is, a, is it a place you go and attend or is it really a movement that I'm a part of? William Tyndale is one of my heroes of the faith. William Tyndale lived in the 1500s, late 1400s, early 1500s. How many of you guys have ever heard of William Tyndale? Raise your hand. Absolutely. And so we've got Tyndale Publishing. There's so many things with William Tyndale. Who is this dude and what was he about? Well, you've got a, a beer-drinking monk by the name of Luther that gets blown away by studying the book of Romans and he is convinced that you're justified through faith and not through the sacraments of the Catholic Church, he starts a reformation. Well, around that time was another dude by the name of William Tyndale and Tyndale was convinced, he was convinced that Christianity was a movement and not a, a, just an institution or an enterprise. He was so convinced that he was devoted, listen to this, 
to the movement that he believed that in order to embrace the movement, you had to know the message. The problem was in his day, as well as with Luther, don't, 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 don't miss this. The Catholic Church, the way they did it was they chained their Bible to the podium. And nobody else had a copy of Scripture. And the only person that could open that book and read from that book was the priest. And so common man had no access to Scripture. He was under what priest would say to him. And Tyndale was like, every man needs a copy of the word in common English language where they can know what the message is all about so they can be a part of the movement. But it undercut the authority of the Catholic Church. And this infuriated Catholic Church leaders. They claimed that he was a heretic. They claimed that he was teaching heresy. They claimed that he was all about heresy. So the Catholic leaders of that day got together and decided that they were going to martyr, they were going to kill William Tyndale. And they did. They hung him and they burned him at the stake. He was martyred. But the one thing that Tyndale did is when he began translating the scripture from Greek and Hebrew and the Latin Vulgate into English. Every time he got to the word ecclesia, he didn't translate it church. He translated it congregation because he wanted the people to know that the word church literally was a congregation and assembly that was all committed to the same cause, that being Jesus, and it was a movement. And the Catholic church, because he would not use the word church, was infuriated because it undercut their authority. They were no longer in a power, a position of power and authority. He's like, no, it's a movement. And can I tell you something for many of us sitting in this room today? Our whole concept of church, of what we were taught and trained with, was all about a monument location facility. It wasn't about you being the church and you being filled and flooded with the Holy Spirit. And it wasn't about God doing a work in and through you as you did life. It was about we're going to come together and somebody else is going to tell us what we should believe and how we should believe and how we should do life. You see, the Holy Spirit is desiring for you to spend time with the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit wants to give you revelation and inspiration like you've never had before. But Richard, we live in this place where it's like, now we're going to go to church. We're going to punch the clock. We did our 80 minutes. Rock on, bro. Let's roll. That's not the church. That's not how the redeemed of the Lord respond. It's not. If you've got a copy of Scripture sometime throughout this day, you ought to just stop and thank God for William Tyndale's obedience. Can I tell you that? That brother didn't die a brutal martyr's death so that we would just set this thing on the shelf when we walk out of here on Sunday morning. You hear me? He, he didn't spend his life and the vision that God gave him to write this so a common man would have this. I promise you, he didn't do it so that we would just say, ah, now I'll look at it later. I mean, that should be it. But the danger for churches throughout history and throughout every age, Drew, is that it ceases to become a movement. It becomes an institution. It's created as a place for people to go to in a service that we're going to provide for you. And all, all you got to do is just kind of attend. And you start raising the bar and challenging people to give and serve and engage. They'll get all ticked off at you and pack up their toys and go to a different play field because they're like, well, I, I just don't feel like I, I need to be challenged like that. Get saved today in Jesus name. Y'all hear me? There's so many people that attend church that need to get saved by the blood of Jesus. 
and quit playing the cultural game. That's the problem. If I ever meet the risen Christ, he radically changes me. I can't go through the motions. You need to go on out there and share what I've done with you. I'm scared. And I'm dumb, man. I don't make no sense. I don't know how to speak. God, I'm, 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 I'm scared. I'm not articulate. My vocabulary is, is, is limited. Uh, go tell people what I've done in your life, Cash. That's how I grew. I was scared. I was afraid. I had as many mind monsters as any of you sitting here do. Go tell people what I've done for you because you're my witness. I've done something in you, right? You've seen what I've done in you. You've heard, you've tasted and seen that I'm good. You're my witness. Go tell other people about me, Cash. All right? And do you know that, that, that just... Honoring Jesus and obeying Jesus, even by church folk, they'll look at you like you are a freak. I remember when I first got saved, I was going out with this girl, and I met her parents, and her dad was a pastor. I'll never forget this. And we were sitting there, and I'm about two months into being saved. I mean saved. And we're sitting there having dinner one night, and the mom looked at me, this girl's mom looked at me, and she said, well, I remember when I first got saved how excited I was. And being the spirit-filled and spirit-controlled and tamed individual that I am, I looked at her and said, so what happened? What happened? You remember when you first got saved and you were fired up? What happened? What Jesus did you meet? What happened? The more you walk with him, the more fired up you ought to get about knowing him, and the more he's going to use you. That's the reason when Rick said, I met two new friends. It's like I was thinking, gun right in my forehead, man. I was looking at, hmm, that's interesting. Share it with him. I mean, he didn't even freak out. I mean, he was like, hmm, this is scary, but I'm not going to freak. The more you hang with Jesus, the more excited you ought to be. How did the early church, with only a few followers, leave Jerusalem and go all over the world? How was the church born? How was some hard-hearted, calloused-hearted dude by the name of Saul converted and become God's messenger to the Gentiles? How'd that happen? Where did he come from? It is the actions of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit being poured out in the redeemed of the Lord doing exceedingly abundantly above anything you can ask or think. And the gospel initially came to the Jews and he goes, I'm taking it to the Gentiles. We're about to widen the playing field. Matthew 21, 43, Jesus told the Jewish leaders, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. And it will be given to a nation that will produce proper fruit. Even Jesus told the Jewish leaders, you've rejected me, you've ignored me, you've pushed me away. Let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to be exposed and your rejection of me is going to be exposed. But I'm going to give this message and give this gospel to the Gentiles and the Samaritans and others. And they're going to produce proper fruit. And that's what happened. So, so stay with me just for a second. When you study the book of Acts, some major themes in the book, you're going to find this as we go through it over the next weeks, okay? And I'm going to challenge you, I'm going to challenge you to wear number 29. I'm going to challenge you to walk as number 29. I'm going to challenge you to stay on the altar as a living sacrifice, giving God the pen to write a new narrative that's never been written. It's going to be risky. It's going to be scary. It's unscripted. It's unfamiliar territory, but if, 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 if you're going to experience the king, it's got to happen. So here's the themes. God is sovereign in establishing the church and in the proclamation of the gospel. We're going to see that throughout the book of Acts. God is at work. Let me, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me finish that statement. 
God is at work. That could be a complete statement. But God is at work and nothing is going to stop what God wants to happen. You're going to see dudes, you're going to see dudes wear it. You're going to see dudes beat up. You're going to see all kinds of stuff happen. And throughout the book of Acts, you're going to see Jesus' church get birthed in Jerusalem. And, and you're going to see it in Philippi and Colossae and Thessalonica and all these places. His church is getting birthed and nothing's going to stop it. Here's the second thing. You're going to see that the power of the Holy Spirit is given to all who believe in Jesus. You, you see, he said, I'm going to send forth my spirit. I'm going to get to that in a second. But you're going to see the spirit of God released at Pentecost that all who believe, believe means they're persuaded to action. I didn't say those who just acknowledge and go through the motion. I said believe. Those who believe are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, 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 and you can be filled with the Holy Spirit and controlled by the Holy Spirit. And then you start to see the fruit of the Spirit and manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit. And certain things are going to happen. I, I, the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out for all of us. Am I tapping into the Holy Spirit? Third thing, you're going to see that prayer was essential to the early church. And prayer is essential to the church today. You're going to see that. These cats are praying throughout the pages as we study Acts. They're, they're praying for God's favor. They're praying, asking God where to send me. They're praying even in the midst of persecution. You're going to see that. You're going to see the proclamation of God's word being so central throughout the pages of Acts. There's 19 sermons minimally that are preached in the book of Acts. Peter preaches eight of them. He starts at Pentecost. Paul preaches, uh, Paul preaches about nine sermons. These cats are preaching Jesus and the resurrection wherever they go. And there, there's, Paul's got about eight or nine sermons. Peter does. Stephen preaches a long sermon when they're stoning him. Even James preaches a sermon. There's about 19 sermons preached in the book of Acts. Do, do you hear me that the proclamation of Jesus and him only is central to everything we're to be doing? You're, you're going to see that uh, Acts emphasizes the importance of missions to all people, taking the gospel to the nations. You're, you're going to see that God was committed to see people throughout the world come to faith in, in Christ. That, that's, a, that's a focal point. You're going to see that opposition and persecution is the norm when people are really preaching Jesus. It's not the, well, I can't believe that happened. You're going to see when people really take a conservative stand on truth, they're going to get shot at and attacked. But you're going to see that God is sovereign and nothing can stop what God's behind. And you're going to see some crazy young dudes, probably in their early 20s, meaning Peter and John and all these guys, saying, we're going to obey God. We ain't worried about it. Acts, the birth, the life of the early church, the growth, the growing pains, the persecution. And the central message throughout it, the central message is the resurrection of Jesus. Peter would say, you guys, it was God's predetermined plan that Jesus, that y'all would nail him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead. Paul, even as he stands before Festus and Agrippa and all these guys, he was like, y'all crucified him, but let me tell you what God did. The resurrection is the hinge on which the door of Christianity swings. Do you hear me? The resurrection it's the hinge on which the door, Jesus said, I am the door. Door had to be hung. It is the resurrection. It's the hinge on which the door of Christianity swings. And Paul repeatedly said, if there be no resurrection, our, our, our preaching is vain and foolish. But praise God for the risen Christ. Praise God that there's hope beyond the grave. Praise God that Jesus is now resurrected and seated at the right hand of the Father. So when you study the book of Acts, verse Eight of chapter one probably is the key verse. I, I wouldn't know this verse if I was you. Acts 1.8. You got to know it. And, and everything in the book of Acts really hinges on that one verse. And it says, uh, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The word power is the word dunamis in the Greek, and it means dynamite. You're going to receive the dynamite explosive power of God when the Holy Spirit comes inside of you. And you're going to be my witnesses. He didn't say, uh, think about it, pray about it. He goes, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit and you shall be my witnesses. Did y'all hear me? 
you shall be. Where, where, where are we going to be your witnesses? Where well, you going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem? Acts chapter 1 through Acts chapter, the first part of Acts chapter 8, they're witnessing in Jerusalem. You pick up chapter 8 and you go through the mid part of chapter 11, you shall be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria. That's what those three and a half chapters focus on. And that's where the first Gentile converts, Gentiles, start responding to the gospel. And then he says, you will be my witnesses to the remotest parts of the earth. That's, verse, that's chapters 11 through the end of the book of, as we have it, 28, but also 29. You will be my witnesses to the remotest parts, which includes the Jew first and then the Gentile. And people are going to respond to the gospel, but you've got to go tell it. So there's Gentiles down in the Dominican Republic. And he goes, I care about the gospel coming to the Jews first, but it's got to be taken to the Gentiles. Now, let me say this to you. Stay with me. When Jesus was ascended into heaven, remember he was crucified, buried on the third day he raised. There was over about a 40-day 40 40 window of time where he appeared to a lot of the different disciples and different things. And then he told them to go to Jerusalem, chill, stay there. Now, remember, they saw Jesus ascend into heaven. Early in Acts chapter 1, they, they saw him go, uh, like, oh, oh, there he goes. And he, he was ascending. And, and even the angel said, just like you've seen him going up, he's going to come back the same way. I'm like, okay, there he goes. But his work on the earth was not over. Just because he ascended and left, his work wasn't over. Because he had already promised the disciples that it's to your advantage that I go away. Because if I go away, I'm going to send the parakletos the Holy Spirit, the helper, the comforter. And you're going to do greater works than I've done when the Holy Spirit shows up. So now Jesus is ascending and now the Holy Spirit is falling. Now the work of Jesus is not over. Now he's passing it on to you and I. See, the baton got passed to you and I. And we are now given the responsibility to represent Jesus to our world. And that's what Acts is. Acts is the story of men and women possessed by Jesus, representing Jesus, his life and message to their world. Did y'all get me? That's what it's about. And so Acts 29 is the baton being passed to you and I that we're representing Jesus to our world. And a Christianity that is not doing this is not Christianity. Did y'all hear me? A Christianity that is not doing that, it's not Christianity. So if you look at the life and ministry of Jesus, all right, so Jesus, uh, what, what, what was your aim? What was your mission? What did you do? Check it out. If we're going to continue to the work of Jesus, y'all hear me? If we're going to continue the work of Jesus, then we need to know what the work of Jesus was. So you read in John chapter 1, verse 29, when John the Baptist sees him and he goes, wow, there is the Lamb of God that's going to take away the sin of the world. So the mission of Jesus was to take away the sin of the world. So when Jesus came, he came to be the Lamb of God that would become the atoning sacrifice to redeem humanity back to God. And he goes, wow. So if you're going to do the work of Jesus, you're going to preach Jesus that he is the one that can take away the sin of the world. He doesn't cover sin. If you cover something, you can uncover it. And see, Yom Kippur and the Jews for all those years, as they celebrated that, they had a lamb that would be offered once a year, and that blood would cover them for a year. There's the one who's going to take it away. So if we're going to continue the work that Jesus was about, we're going to preach that he takes away sin. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our iniquity from us. And then Jesus cries out in John chapter 19, verse 30, it captures it, where he says, it is finished. Everything that the Father has required for sin to be dealt with, I've done it. 
And Jesus doesn't say, I've done my part, now you go do your part and work it out. That would be called religion. Religion is nothing more than a return to bondage. That's the definition of religion. Jesus offers us relationship, and he says, now I want you to see that full redemption, it is finished. The word he uses there is the word tetelestai, which means the debt is paid in full. That's what he was about. He was coming to take away the sin of the world and offer forgiveness and redemption once and for all. And even in Luke 19, he looks at Zacchaeus and says, oh, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. So if we're going to continue the work that Jesus did, we're going to preach that he is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, that it is completely finished in him to tell us thy debt has been paid, and he's come to seek and to save that which is lost. We're going to care about lost people. We're going to equip saved people. We're going to train saved people. But Jesus even looked at the guys and said, hey, hey, before I check out, I'm going to give you something that's been come. Uh, we, we call it now the Great Commission. I want you to take my message to the nations. And when you look at it, even in Luke 24, 47, Jesus said, it is written that the Christ will suffer, rise from the dead on the third day. Repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. Listen, this is the last part. This is so brilliant. This message is going to be proclaimed to all the nations. Beginning in Jerusalem. Where is it going to begin? In Jerusalem. I want you, now since you've been empowered through the Holy Spirit, to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the remotest parts of the earth. Now I want you to go proclaim me to the nations. What's the message? Jesus. Everything that we do should be about Jesus, not religion, not denominational, uh, not about a pastor, not about some buzzword. Everything we should do should, should be elevating and celebrating and glorifying Jesus. Everything's about Jesus. You'll read in Acts where it says the Lord was adding day by day to their numbers those who were being saved. Who was Peter's preaching? John loving on people like a champ? No, the Lord was adding to it. Remember in Acts 4 when they meet that dude begging at the gate? Peter and John, and they look and they're like, bro, man, we ain't got no money, silver and gold. We don't have but what we have in the name of Jesus. Get up and walk. And he got up. It was all about Jesus. Acts chapter 9, Saul the antagonist going to just persecute Christians. Bam, he was blinded by a light from heaven. And who did he meet? The Lord Jesus. So when we go out and proclaim, we're preaching Jesus. You go, what kind of men does the Lord use, Tim? This is my rap. He uses available men. Did y'all hear me? He chose the apostles. They were available. They were teenagers. They had been overlooked by the majority of rabbis. They were not self-appointed leaders. They were just available. I love people that are available. They did not volunteer for the job. Jesus came to them hanging out on the fishing pier going, hey, come follow me. I believe in you. You've got what it takes. So first they get introduced to salvation that he gives them. And then he goes, are y'all available to hang with me? Oh, we, 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 we're available. Well, y'all are going to be my apostles. What does that mean? It means one that I send out. They didn't come with their own agenda and gig going, hey, you ought to hear this sermon I preached about three years ago. You need me on your team, Jesus. They're like, hey, we're uneducated, unschooled people. They were not trying to build their own empire. They didn't have their own message. They just said, hey, I'll follow you. You're my authority. Tell us where to go. You know, you you know all they had to bring to the dance in their messages? Don't, 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 don't miss this. They were eyewitnesses. They just went out and told people what they had seen and what they had heard. Just go tell them what you've seen. Tell them what you've heard. That's it. You know how we do it today? Hey, man, praise God. Praise God. I'm so proud of you. You got saved, you got baptized. Now, I want you to go to four years of Bible college. I want you to go there. I want you to get your hair cut. I want you to look the part. Now, I want you to study, and I want you to, I want you to get after it. I'm not saying education is wrong. Don't, don't, don't hear me. 
And then I think what you need to do is to go to three years of seminary. And man, we're going to learn uh, Hebrew and Greek, and we're going to figure out exactly how to uh, articulate the text in the original language. And, and then I want you to go two more years, man, and get a counseling degree. And then I want you to go for a year and study apologetics. Just hear me out. I've seen so many people over the years that were fired up when they met Jesus. But by the time they jumped through all those stinking hoops, they were so spiritually constipated, they, they could not walk. You ever seen them? And even Francis Chan would say the three years, man, he's like, why did I do that? Going through seminary and all that stuff. I lost some of my passion. I lost my fire. I lost, should you study? Yes. Should I learn as much as I can? Yes. But God doesn't use, it doesn't, you will never read where he uses PhDs. He uses available men. They may have a PhD, but available. What else? I would say they were obedient. He uses available men and obedient men. He makes it clear that obeying his will opens the door to engage in his mission. You want to engage in my mission? Yes. Obedience and faithfulness leads us to follow the Lord. And so when you start to look at it, even these guys were just obeying God. Hey, we're going to throw you in jail and beat you up. Go for it. They were praising God that they were been, by the Lord, considered worthy to suffer for his namesake, Chad. They were like, cool. You got to shut up or we're going to throw you in jail again. They're like, we're going to preach Jesus. We serve God and not man. And they didn't do it in an arrogant, condescending, mad at people approach. Even Paul told them, he's, the young churches, when he's going out and planning these churches, he tells them it is going to be through many tribulations and trials and, and so much suffering that you're going to go through that we enter the kingdom of God. And I think oftentimes we try to run from that. And so I invite you, I invite you today, please, just tell the Lord, just tell him in your own heart, your own prayer time, just say, here's the pen. I crawl on the altar as a living sacrifice. I want you to write a new narrative that's never been written. Not about me. I want, to be a, I want to be a servant of the Most High. And God, you can do whatever you want to do in me and with me and through me, ever how you want it to work. But I'm available for Acts 29 to be written today. I'm available for Acts 29 to be written this week. And that's going to be the challenge as we stay in this book. Do you hear me? You're going to hear this for the next... Nine or ten months. <laughs> We're going to break down what was happening, but you're going to hear it. Like, what is the Holy Spirit doing in you and through you right now? What new narrative is he writing? And Drew, I can promise you, he's been writing a new narrative through you for the last five years. Because you crawled on the altar, altar and you said, all right, all right, here I am. I don't even know where to start. And he's been doing that, sir, as you said last night, in so many lives. Would, would, you, would you yield to him and repent and surrender to him and go, all right, I just want to be filled with the Holy Spirit and used by you. That's what I want. If we all, if we all did that, imagine what would happen to Loganville and beyond. Bam. Bam. <laughs>